Father, thank you for uh, your preservation of us uh, unto this day. And I pray that as we wrap things up, you will um, aid us, aid our mind, our memory, that in, uh, in what we do, what we talk about, it would be honoring to you and beneficial to our, uh, our uh, uh, walk with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is lecture number 17 in this series, God's Glorious Salvation, our final uh, time together on this particular topic. Uh, This morning we're going to do a summary of where we have been in this study and then take some uh, question and answers that I've provided for you. (laughs) I've already established the questions. Um, (laughs) we'll, We'll... with, actually, I stole them, but but um, we'll uh, we'll uh, look at those uh, this morning and then wrap up with some uh, some concluding thoughts. We began this study uh, a number of months ago, looking at the scriptural affirmation of God's absolute sovereignty. Uh, that's where we start with regard to um, every doctrine. Uh, but particularly with regard to salvation. And we explored uh, those from many, many centuries ago who objected to God's sovereignty, even though the scriptures are explicitly clear that God is the one who is large and in charge. Um, And we, we talked about characters like Pelagius and John Cassian, and uh, John Cassian's semi-Pelagian view. We talked about uh, where, uh, where, where the Roman Catholic Church has stood through the years. And we, we got up to the, um, to the, uh, to the 18th century, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 17th century, uh, where there were a, a, a group of reformed uh, uh, men who were students of Jacob Arminius, they, they took his last name as, as, uh, as their label to identify them and their concerns. And in the midst of the, uh, the Reformation, which was uh, just about 100 years old, they, uh, they said, um, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not buying some of the foundational beliefs of the Reformed Church. They were all part of the Dutch Reformed Church. And those protests um, uh, were, uh, were, were identified uh, by, by five specific points that they had uh, troubles with. And it was from there that we got the so-called doctrines of grace or uh, the uh, maybe mis- misnamed label the five points of Calvinism, mis- mislabeled because it doesn't define uh, Calvinism in its totality. Um, John Calvin didn't even write them. Um, but because he was so prolific in establishing Reformed thinking, um, just simply recapturing what does the Bible teach about so many things, uh, his, his name gets a, a, a attached to this. And with regard to the doctrine of salvation, I mean, this is, has been called God's glorious salvation. That's how we've titled this series. So in, in, in light of that, we, uh, we, we have to look at 
what does um, reform teaching, what does uh, the doctrines of grace uh, have to do with regard to our um, with, with regard to our salvation? Um, the um, uh, the Dutch Reformed Church at um, uh, in the city of Dort, D-O-R-T. Uh, they, uh, they, they came up with five responses to the five protests of the students of Jacob Arminius. And they rearranged them a little bit, and they came up with an acrostic, TULIP. And you are going to tell me what these stand for, right? What does the T stand for? Total depravity. Okay, and the U stands for, good morning, unconditional. What's the next word? Election, okay. Okay, and the L stands for? Limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible. Irresistible. E L E. Irresistible what? Um, and the P. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance. Perseverance an E-N or an A-N? It's an A-N, isn't it? Pardon my misspelling. You were that close to heresy. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are, there are different, different labels for all of these, um, but, but if God is sovereign, if he's the one that's alone, in charge of all things, including uh, the destiny of mankind. This is how this flows together. We start with man's condition. He is morally unable to respond to the things of God because Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that man is spiritually dead, unable, uninterested in doing anything about their, his spiritual condition. He simply wants to have the freedom to do what he wants to do. Thank you very much. We are totally depraved. That's where we start, man's condition. Then we move to God's action in light of man's condition, namely, without condition. Because man can't do anything about it, point number one. God chooses he elects, he predestines certain individuals. Could he have chosen every person? Absolutely. Is Christ's death sufficient to save everyone without exception? Absolutely. But God chose not to do that. Why? I don't know. All we can say 
is turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, which says, the secret things belong to the Lord. I, I, I wish I hadn't a firm, definitive, thus saith the Lord answer to why God does all the things that he does. But I can't. None of us can. The scriptures are very clear. God chooses without condition. All right? All right, so we start with man's condition. We go to God's choice, the Father's choice. Then we move to the Son's action. Jesus died not to make salvation possible, but to actually effect salvation for those whom the Father elected. So, so his atonement is limited in the sense that it is directed toward those particular individuals whom the Father chose. Man's condition, the Father's choice, the Son's action, which leads us to the fourth point, irresistible grace, or effectual grace, I think is a better phrase. This refers to the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit works to apply Christ's action to those whom the Father elected, all of which, because of their depravity, because of their moral inability, they can't do anything about their spiritual condition. God's <coughs> grace through the Holy Spirit is given internally there is an external call, and then there is that internal call of the Holy Spirit. That is, it, it is, it is like a magnet. As soon as the Holy Spirit rebirths spiritually an individual, and he takes out the heart of stone that doesn't beat anymore, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that does respond, once that, that takes place, and the people... Um, in, in whom the Holy Spirit is working. Once they, they understand their sin, God's holiness, and the provision of Christ, it, God's grace is like a magnet. It, it draws irresistibly. Does that mean that somebody who is on the list um, but doesn't want to be saved won't be saved? No, it means that if you're on God's list, if he has elected you, if he's chosen you, the, 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 the work of Christ has been accomplished. The Holy Spirit is going to be working. Now, you may be 99 years of age when that takes place. You could be nine years of age when that takes place. We don't know. This, that is something the Holy Spirit's up to. We, we, can't, we can't put a date on that. But we know without question that every person in whom the Holy Spirit works in that way will be saved. And the, the Spirit's working will continue such that 
that person is going to persevere in their faith. Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that they're not going to, to fall down and sin and do their own thing, do things, God, uh, uh, choose to go their own path. They may, but that will be for only a season. It may be, just as if, if you've been around a, 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 a three or four year old, who is playing with something that is um, dangerous. Um, you as a parent, grandparent, next door neighbor, might on occasion pick that child up. They don't want to go. They don't want to leave that dangerous situation. But you have to pick them up in order to protect them. <clears throat> well, the Lord may work in that way. He might work in that way. And in, in that particular case, it might be better for us to, to refer to this as the um, preservation of the saints. Now, also as a part of a review here, we spent a good bit of time talking about free will. Um, there are people on, on all sides of this uh, debate uh, regarding free will, everyone is going to say, we all have free will. Now, what we mean by that is different. Um, and, and, the, and, and we fall in two different, uh, two different camps here. There, there are those who are the uh, compatibilists, and there are those who are the libertarians, question is, how can God's sovereignty mesh, intermingle with man's choices? The compatibilist view says the two are compatible. God can be sovereign, and man still has choices, legitimate choices. He chooses freely. The libertarian point of view, that perspective, as you will recall, we spent a couple weeks talking about this, um, that particular view says um, we have to modify God's sovereignty to a degree. I mean, we're not going to do irreparable harm. We're not going to say God's not God anymore. Uh, but, but God's um, uh, sovereignty ends right at my nose. And their argument is, man cannot have free will unless he can choose to do what he doesn't want to do. Now, if you can make sense of that nonsense, please tell me how. No, everybody does only and always what you want to do. The difference is this. The unsaved person is spiritually dead. And though it may appear as though they do something that is good and noble and right and just and true, 
Everything the unsafe person does is stained with sin. They cannot, they do not possess the ability to please God in and of themselves. By definition. The redeemed person, the person who has been touched by the Holy Spirit, has a, a new level of ability, a new level of freedoms into which they walk. Now that person is able to please God in a meaningful, eternal way. They have a new set of choices. They have a new menu, if you will, that they can choose from to do. Both sides are free. Both individuals are free. But there are limitations on each. Nobody has the ability to stand up on the top of a building and jump off unaided and fly. We are limited in that way. So, so the, that, that kind of freedom will be very quickly found on the pavement. Uh, and it's not going to end very well. Now, um, so... Um, what we what we have here in the in the libertarian point of view is 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 a limitate limiting of God's um, uh, sovereign nature. The reason why is libertarians want to rescue God from sending anyone to hell. In a passive sense, God will execute the judgment but he doesn't force anyone to do evil. God doesn't work that way. It is what that person freely chooses to do. We only do, we always do what we want to do. Now, there's nothing new in what I just said over the course of, uh, of, of, of our study. Um, let, let me, let me uh, at this point, redirect our attention to, uh, to a, f- a few questions. I put these in your notes, and I'll, I'll um, uh, give some answers. Question number one. Why has God written his word in such a way that it's so difficult to understand? Why do the terms world and foreknow, foreknew, and all have to be so complicated? We spent a lot of time talking about some of these passages. And the word world can mean so many different things. And the word all can mean a number of things as well. How come it's so complicated? Well, let me say, say a couple things. Uh, we, we live with limitations. We all have limitations. Uh, our, our, our language is, is limited. Uh, and speaking of language limited, we, we live with a translation. All of us live with a translation. Um, some, uh, some read Japanese. Um, most of you read English. And there might be some of you others that uh, um, read, read other languages. Um, but, but, they're, but they're all translations of the original manuscripts. And 
and as a matter of fact, we, we don't have the original manuscripts. We don't have the original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts from which we get our Bible. Um, what we have right here in my hand is a translation, and there are this. This is God's translation. I'm pretty sure, uh, New American Standard. But um, even with this one, there are difficulties. There are problems. It is not perfect. And there are there are many who will say, "Well, the King James is the one that is is the the, the pristine uh, preferred." Translation. Well, there's problems with the, there's problems with every translation. So, so, so sometimes we have to recognize that um, that we, we live with the limitation of language, and then we have to add to the to that the limitation of our own spiritual nature. Sometimes um, we we are we are clouded with our own emotion. Um, we, we, we have such a deep love for um, a person, uh, might be a relative, might be, might be an extra neighbor, um, and, and we, have such, we have such deep love for that person that, that we, 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 we don't want to, we can't, we choose not to look at the scripture for what it says at face value. We, we read it in light of that person's need, um, and and it, it is a uh, an, an honest uh, concern for that other person, um, but it doesn't mean that uh, we, we we can't allow that to shade or influence our understanding of what the objective scripture teaches us. So we live with that limitation. Um, uh, we, we live with the limitation of uh, God's revelation. Is the Bible the totality of everything that we are to know about who God is and what he has done? No. Even in the book of John that we've been uh, studying in the second hour, um, at the end of the book, uh, the Apostle John says, <laughs> there is so much more that I haven't time or pages or ink to, to tell you about. Volumes and volumes could, more could be written about what Jesus said and what Jesus did. But these things I have included that you might believe. There's, there's many things that we, we have yet to um, uh, understand and have revealed to us. When we get to heaven, that'll be a different ballgame. And we will talk with the Lord. <laughs> can you believe that? <laughs> I, I, I can hardly wait. Um, so so to, uh, to, to answer the question, why has God written his words so that it's difficult to understand? Well, there, there's, there are limitations for us. Um, and a um, former pastor here in, in, in Portland um, said, said this, the concepts of the doctrine of grace are not that difficult to understand. It's not hard to understand. Um, it may be difficult for us to bend our will to accept it and to, to trust, oh, yeah, as we, as we put all of the pieces of Scripture together, uh, this is what the Bible teaches. 
it, it may be difficult for us to understand, but, or, or, or for us to accept, but it's not necessarily difficult for us to understand. Uh, question number two. Since God foreloves his elect chosen people, and he doesn't just base his election on a foreknowledge of those who would choose him, why doesn't God forelove and choose everyone? Well, I've already, uh, already spoken to this a little bit briefly uh, this morning. Um, we, we don't know why God does uh, what he does. Um, I can look in my own heart and I can pridefully come up with a reason why God probably saved me because I'm so smart or because I'm so whatever. No, no, it has absolutely nothing to do with me. We can't say, Ephesians chapter 2, God delights in saving the unlovely and putting them in his trophy case of grace to say, I wanted to show my mercy to this one named Rob Martini. What a character, what a jerk, what, a, what an unsaved mess he was. But I chose to show mercy to him that my glory might be revealed in his life, in the lives of so many other brothers and sisters through the centuries. Hmm. We can't answer the why question. Why does he choose a particular individual? But we know that he does, and for his glory. Uh, Question number three. What is the most accurate way to share the gospel in light of the truths of Reformed theology? I don't know how many times I've heard, you probably have heard, uh, and I suppose on occasion you might have heard the words come out of my mouth, and maybe they've come out of your mouth as well. Um, Jesus loves you. Well, honestly, that's theological baby talk. Is there anything wrong with that statement? Well, in light of all of what we've talked about in the Bible, I'm going to need a couple paragraphs to explain what that means. It might be better for me to use um, a, a, a statement that is a little bit more biblically precise and allows me to explain in maybe just a couple sentences. I don't, even, I don't have to take a whole paragraph to explain it. You can, um, you, you, you've heard me uh, describe, Robin, maybe you could find another chair. Please, thank you. Um, Lori, is, is Antonio with you? Okay. So we just need one chair. <laughs> okay, well, there's, there's another place there. Okay. We, 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 can use, we can use just these four words to put in, a, put in a, a one sentence what the, what the gospel is. Here it is, four words. Jesus died for sinners. No, no I'm not, I'm not um, um, saying Jesus died for you 
as I'm talking to an individual and I'm witnessing to them, I, 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 don't, I don't know if God has, the Father has unconditionally elected them. I, I, I don't know if the atonement of Christ has been applied to their soul. I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is, has, will um, irresistibly and effectually draw that person unto faith. I, 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 I don't know that. I, I'm not going to presume that. But I can say Jesus died for sinners. Jesus, the morally perfect Son of God, the very incarnation of God, the God-man, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus unjustly died. He died the death of a criminal. He died the death of a sinner. Jesus died for, that is, on behalf of, as a substitute for sinners. Those who confess that they are lost, those who are responding to the work of Christ by repenting of their sin, trusting the Savior. Jesus died for sinners. Now there's uh, certainly a a lot more that that can be said, and um, hopefully in in a... uh, evangelistic context, a relationship context, uh, you'll have more time to, uh, to explain that. But that's um, talking about um, not, just, not, not just Reformed theology. Uh, th- this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, we, we can be that, uh, that, that, that succinct. Uh, question number four. How can we help children understand the truths of Reformed theology early in life in a way that they can understand so they are not surprised by these truths later in life as I have been? Well, I, I would put myself in that category. I've uh, told you before of conversations I've had with, with um, that sweet young girl that I came to know and love and decided I, 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 I can't live without this woman. Decided to marry her. Um, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I, I was past Bible college. I was past seminary when, uh, when, I, when I had a, a full understanding of what Scripture teaches with regard to salvation. Okay, what, what, what would like life been? What would life? What could life have been like to allow me to come into this understanding earlier? Well, the um, uh, there are a number of catechisms that uh, that have been written that are uh, very easily accessible and um, in a more question answer kind of format. Um, ch- children, young children, learn very, very well by rote, and and um, using one of the catechisms, and there are a number, um, can can be a very a very helpful way. That's that's one um, uh, one one thing I, I think needs to happen. Um, being in a church where the scriptures are taught is of uh, of of. Um, it's very, very important. <laughs> uh, and, and, and sadly, there are, there are, there are too many pastors uh, in, in this day who see themselves as 
program directors or CEOs of an organization rather than um, a a, a pastor uh, that is a shepherd that has the chief responsibility of feeding the flock. Um, I I have, over the years, asked many, many pastors, well, tell me about your discipline of sermon preparation, for example. And I'm, I'm, I'm always curious to know, well, how do you do it? Maybe I can learn something from you that will help me in my, uh, in, in, in my process. And I'm, I've, I've always been amazed at how few hours pastors spend in preparation, in the actual study and preparation to preach. Um, uh, first church that I served as an associate, uh, the, the senior pastor, uh, every Friday afternoon he would close his door, which was unusual for him. He, he didn't usually do that. But he closed his door on Friday afternoons, and he spent two, uh, sometimes three hours, preparing his sermon. And that was it. And by the time that he was done after um, that, that, that process on, on a Friday afternoon, he had some notes written, uh, he had one set of commentaries that, that he, he read from quite frequently, and, uh, and, that, and that was it. Uh, you know, I, 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 um, I have kept track in, in the past. It's been, it's been a number of years since I've done this, but I've kept track of where, where, do, where, do my, where, where does my time go? And I've had sheets of paper, and... And that's, oh, it's laborious. But, but, but I've, I've written in the past, every 15-minute block, what did I spend doing? Okay, well, I made, I made two phone calls. Or I, um, I, 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 I was driving to visit so-and-so. And I, sp- I spent an hour and a half visiting with so-and-so. Uh, I spent this much time um, uh, preparing to, 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 to preach. And I, I, I haven't uh, hung the moon or, or figured out a, uh, the exact way to do it or necessarily the right or best way. But, but, but I, I found that I, I spend uh, between 15 and 20 hours um, each week uh, in preparation for uh, a lesson, be that Sunday school or be that a, a, a sermon. It, it takes time. Could I do it shorter? I mean, here I've been doing it for, what, uh, over 40 years now. Could I do it in a shorter period of time? Yeah. Will I? Absolutely not. No, can't do that. Um, studying the scripture, even if I have a lot of, of uh, material in the background that I can draw from, I, it's, it's got to be fresh, it's got to be accurate. And that's one way we can, uh, an important way we can help children understand the truths of Scripture. Put, 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 put the truths on the bottom shelf where the cookie jar is, right? Question number five. Um, is it possible that the Lord may bring a Christian home as a result of them persisting in their sin? One word. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. It happens all the time. Do we always know it? No. No, we don't. 
found out just yesterday, a former classmate of, of uh, Michael's um, has uh, stage four breast cancer. Um, she's um, same age as Michael, early 30s, and uh, two, three young, young children. It's metastasized to her bones and liver. Um, is the Lord taking her home because of something she's, she's done, some sin? I, I'm not going there. I, I, we, can't, we can't say, we can't speculate. Somebody that, that, that dies uh, young uh, while skiing, car accident, uh, this, that, is that person be, being taken home early? I, I, I can't say that. The Lord knows exactly what's going on. We know that he can and on occasion will pick up that little one even if they're 42 and take them out. That, God has that capability and that, that, and that possibility. Um, that, that is a possibility. Um, but we're, we're, just, we're, we're not saying that person who dies young is person who has uh, been in, engaged in in uh, sin and, and and needs to be taken out. No, we're not saying that at all. But we're all, all we're saying is we, that God can do that. We need to we need to be careful and and take our sanctification very very seriously. Um, okay, so just some just a couple of concluding comments. Um, I am. I am not interested in having you uh, step out of this class and, and wear the label Calvinist. Um, I wear that label. I'm okay with that label. Um, but that's not, that's not my goal. My, my, go- my goal is that, we, is that we look carefully at Scripture and we, we understand what does God tell us here we've been talking about the nature of our salvation, which is a good, glorious, and wonderful thing to think about, talk about. Um, um, but but I don't want to, I, I don't want I don't want this this to be a us versus them kind of study. Uh, I don't want the study of the scriptures to to turn into that kind of us versus them. It, it's it's not about that. We're, we're looking to understand. What God's revealed to us. And we're going to leave it there. When we talk about Calvinism, when we talk about Reformed theology, I, 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 don't, I don't usually like to even use those words um, because they, are, they tend to be divisive. Um, they, they tend to throw a, 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 an us versus them kind of thinking in there. Um, there, are, there are so many other things that are attendant to that label Calvinism or Reformed theology that I don't agree with. My, 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 my theological mentor and hero, R.C. Sproul, um, um, was, was uh, what we call a, a, a paedo-baptist. He, he believed that uh, we, should, uh, we, we should baptize infants. And I strongly disagree with him on that point. Now, that's, 
the, the, the Pado-Baptist position is the, the typical uh, Reformed theology view. That's, that's another doctrine that's often tied to that, that label, Reformed theology. That's, that's, not, that's not what I affirm. I, I don't think that's what the scriptures teach. But, but that's what's required of us. When, when we get into a discussion that may be controversial, may have all kinds of, of uh, um, opinions, we go back to the scriptures. What does the scriptures teach? And with regard to, to um, uh, secondary matters, or tertiary matters, things that are of a second or a third de- degree importance, we, 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 we cut people slack. Uh, now, I may not choose to to be in fellowship with somebody on a, on a secondary matter. Um, but I'm not going to say, well, R.C., you're, you're, not a, you're not a saved man because you don't hold my particular view on baptism. What a ridiculous point that would be. No, we, uh, we, we give people uh, freedom and flexibility when, uh, when we're dealing with secondary matters. Um, what we've been talking about um, our, our um, uh, first degree matters, although there are uh, a number of people, evangelical Armenians is what we've, we've, we've labeled them, who have a different perspective on uh, the nature of our salvation. And, uh, and I'm not saying, never have said in, in, at any time, even in this, in this course, uh, that these people are not saved. Uh, we, we simply have a, um, a, a difference of, of opinion. We're both coming to the scriptures and looking at them. Um, and uh, some of these people have a, have a difference of, of uh, understanding what, what the word world or all or foreknown uh, means and what it's, uh, what it's labeled. Um, uh, my, 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 parting, my parting thought is to uh, encourage us all to keep our nose in Scripture and to keep reading, keep thinking, keep asking questions. Um, uh, you know, as, 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 we, as we mature, uh, we look back on our life and we say, you know that question that was bugging me for all those years, is now not a concern at all. And I see it really was kind of a, kind of an immature thing for me to even ask. Well, we all have to begin there. And uh, I, I remember read the first book that I, I read with, with, my, uh, with my, my compadre, Rick, um, on Reformed theology had to do with the nature of salvation. It was, it was like somebody finally turned a light bulb on in my mind. And I was asking the most simple and the most basic questions. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How could, how can, I don't understand, why did, I was asking all of these, these things that were, from my perspective now, decades later, I was asking, asking um, um, very simple, very basic, very first grade kind of questions. 
and I had a seminary degree. Oh, you got to start. You got to start where where you got to start, uh, and that's okay. And we need to show grace and patience toward each other in that process because even though we might have heard scriptural teaching for a lot of years, maybe some of these categories just haven't been solidified in our mind. So we need to be patient with each other and, and keep coming back to what does the scripture teach? We started this series um, in, uh, in response to, to what Jude says in his book. If you want to turn with me to, to Jude, he, he begins his, his letter with the rather typical salutation, verses 1 and 2. And then he's, he, he says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation... I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. There were people that had crept into the church that were bringing false teaching and Jude had to deal with this. So now, centuries, millennia later, we we have had the opportunity to, to talk about the glories, the wonders of our common salvation. I hope this has been a, a helpful process for you. Uh, we, we could go um, more deeply in certain areas um, and cover other, other, other topics that we haven't addressed yet. Um, but we, uh, we conclude uh, now with, uh, with this... Uh, with this uh, Um, with this uh, final lecture. Father, thank you for this time when we have been able to look at our common salvation and glory in the fact that you as its author have chosen to show mercy and kindness toward us, sinners, rebels. Because of your choosing work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. It it is uh, by your hand that we are saved. And we affirm with with, uh, Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. It's not our work. And we give thanks to your holy name for it. Amen.